our Father, our prayer as we come before you uh, this evening in, in praise and in prayer is that you would uh, speak to us by your Holy Spirit through uh, your uh, divinely authoritative word that we might not only read and understand, but that we might be truly changed and better equipped uh, to be stewards and sharers of this gospel that we ourselves have come to know. So bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, our sermon series in the evening is focusing on 1 Corinthians, and we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 4. word says so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court indeed I do not even judge myself my conscience is clear but that does not make me innocent it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. The saying, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. For we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. For we are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands, when we are cursed we bless, when we are persecuted we endure it, when we are slandered we answer kindly. Up to this moment we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, but in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I am sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Amen. This is 
God's Word. Well, we live in an age of celebrity culture, don't we? Uh, from the red carpet to glossy magazines and tabloid newspapers, a celebrity obsession is everywhere. You even have programs devoted to celebrities. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. I wonder if we didn't vote, if they would just stay in, as a, as a question I've often wondered. The question, why do we always fixate on celebrities? Have you wondered that? Have you ever asked that question? Why do we fixate on celebrities? Why is there such an appetite in our world to find out about people who are rich, people who are famous? Well, an article from psychologists at Life Science tells us that this is a perfectly natural phenomenon, nothing to be worried about. They say humans are social creatures and live in an environment where it pays to pay attention to the people at the top. We fashion who we are upon they, upon who they are, so that we share in their fame and magnificence. What? Really? I mean, what do you think about that quote? Do you not just think that's a lot of nonsense? I think it's woefully short-sighted. Uh, I think it's truer to say uh, what a man called David Perlison from the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation says, truer to say that the stars on the cover of magazines and newspapers are little more than characters in a detached story played out for our entertainment. Characters onto which we as people project our own hopes, our dreams, our insecurities, our fears, and our frustrations. Now that starts to make a little bit more sense, doesn't it? So when a celebrity is successful, we want to dress like them. We want to be like them so that we can share in their success. But when something happens to a celebrity that shatters our image of them, the tendency that we have is to not dress like them. In fact, to distance ourselves from them so that we will not then, by proxy, share in their shame. There's a curse about celebrity in our world. And I don't think the Christian church is immune to that curse. The Christian church experiences its own brand of the celebrity epidemic. Uh, you have famous pastors, people that are accessible. You can follow them on their Twitter feeds. You can follow them on Facebook. You can read all their books. People like John Piper and others referred to as Christian rock stars. These guys easily find themselves with an attachment of people who follow them on Twitter, attend all their conferences. What's more, even dismiss other pastors or leaders who criticize their favorite celebrity or who say things that might seem to set up in competition with those celebrities. And I think that's exactly what we see going on in the life of the Corinthian church. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. You have this unhelpful attachment. We considered this last time in chapter 3. An unhelpful attachment to certain leaders, so much so that we will exclude ourselves from the grace that God would want to give us through others. 
But what you find in Corinth is these Christians unhelpfully attaching themselves to these leaders. And they're glad about this. They're detaching themselves from Paul. Paul's an unimpressive man. They were tired of him in their opinion. His preaching was mediocre. They thought his message about a cross and a crucified Savior was old news. It all seemed a little bit like an embarrassment in sophisticated Corinth. No, they were attaching themselves to other leaders. I don't think the ones mentioned here, I think there are others who are emerging. People who are impressive. People with big personalities, with winsome charm and stunning cleverness, a natural eloquence, and the kind of people that we really want to, if we admit it, introduce our non-Christian friends to. The kind of pastor that we think, you know what, I would bring someone to hear him. Well, I know he's going to be safe. But Paul is writing to object. And Paul is writing to correct. And it might just be that for us, with our celebrity culture, that we might have a lot to learn from this passage. Because the Corinthians have a wrong view of Christian leadership. And in chapters 3 and 4, Paul is giving this right view of Christian leadership. And there are two things that we're going to see tonight. Two things I want to map out for you. Number one, Christian leaders are stewards of Christ, living for the praise of God. And number two, fools for Christ, living with the rejection of man. Look, at, look with me at verse 1. See the first thing. Stewards of Christ. Verse 1, we read... So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. We dealt with the servants bit last time. Basically, that, that word is slightly different from doulos as it was in chapter 3. It's a, a Greek word is used there to basically describe a third-level rower in a ship. In other words, you're down in the bowels of the ship, and you're working really, really hard. So you're not up there calling the shots. You're down in the bowels of the ship. Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. It's a language of stewardship that we have in here. And back in those days, I think, I hope it would be depicted for you in some form by the picture on screen. Uh, back in those days, it was common for landowners, this big guy over the side, uh, to, and farmers to employ a man to basically run a whole estate, to organize and direct the workforce to make sure that people were paid appropriately, to make sure that uh, profits were coming in, and to make sure that no one was conning the landowner. And this chap here, with a bald head, pointing to someone, that's the uh, steward. And he had to discharge his duties in such a way that would please his employer, his master. So in other words, he is a man who is under authority. And what Paul is trying to say here in 1 Corinthians 4 is, so it is with every pastor, with every Christian leader, a servant of Jesus Christ. Christian leaders are servants with considerable, enormous responsibilities. They have been entrusted with what verse 1 calls the secret things of God. That is really the gospel. There's a reference to that back in chapter 2, verse 7. God's secret wisdom. Now, it's not a secret in that we know what it is and we're not going to tell you. No, it's a secret in the sense that it was once hidden but is now revealed, which is what is true of the gospel. Now, what do you think then is required of the Christian leader 
who has been entrusted with this gospel. Well, verse 2 says, it is required of those who have been given a trust to prove faithful. Faithful. In other words, they should follow the master's instruction. They should do as they have been told. Faithfulness is key. So what Paul is pointing out for the Corinthians, even in their celebrity culture, that he's not someone who's going to be conditioned and shaped and fashioned by the praise, by the requests, or by, even by the criticism of people in the church. Uh, he has his remit, and it's not come from them. It's come from the Lord. You see with me also in verse 3, I care very little, Paul says, if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. So Paul is saying quite simply here, he's expecting to hear someone say, well done in your stewardship of this gospel. But it's not them. It's not any human court. It's not even himself. He's not going to give himself a pat on the back. No, the only well done, good and faithful servant that he would like to hear and wants to hear and would hear and did hear would be from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I think we see verse 5 is key to this. Each will receive his praise from God. I, I find that an incredible verse to consider. You might expect that to read, each will receive his rebuke from God. In other words, we are accountable to God. I'm not judged by you. I'm not judged by any human court. I'm not even judging myself. And you expect him to say, well, I'm just about to be, I'm going to be judged by God. But no, he says, commendation and praise. In other words, the one who is faithful with the things that he has been entrusted with will receive a commendation from God. Don Carson says of this, how wonderful that the king of the universe, the sovereign God who has endured our endless rebellion and sought us out at the cost of his son's death would climax our redemption by praising us. You ever thought about that? Well done, good and faithful servant. And it's all tied into the task of the Christian leader here. The question that will be put to, to leaders on that judgment day will not be, were you a brilliant communicator? What was the size of your church? Did you gain a good reputation in your community for being very much in touch with society? No, God's question will be, will you, were you faithful? Did you fulfill the gospel task that was entrusted to you? Did you proclaim this message without shame? Did you shepherd my people well without manipulation and with great care? Paul's trying to drum home to the Corinthians struggling in their celebrity culture. I am a steward entrusted with certain things and what counts is not flashiness, but faithfulness. So men who proclaim the gospel without trying to water it down, men who stand up for biblical truth without wanting to back, back down, men who will not be tossed around by the demands and expectations of churches or of society, Men who understand what it means to be a servant leader. But not passive. In a position of God-given authority. But not authoritarian. 
men who will follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who in John 13 set the example of servant leadership par excellence with every atom of the universe poised under his authority to do whatever he wills or whatever he speaks he chooses to take off his outer clothing take on a towel, take a basin and wash the muck and the dirt and the feces even off of his followers his disciples feet all of this to say that we must be wary of standing in judgment over leaders it's a Corinthian problem in their pride they're putting themselves really in the place of God who has the only right to judge but but Paul has already said to them look you guys aren't actually competent to judge I'm not even competent to judge myself no let's leave the judgment up to God we don't know the end of the story there are some who are going to start out poorly and finish well there are some who are going to start out well and finish poorly we don't know how it's all going to go with Christian leaders only God knows and he says also, you don't know the motives of their hearts. It is true there are some who serve with, with the heart of Christ himself and who do his church goods. But it's a sad reality that there are pastors and church leaders who serve, but only to serve their own purposes and gather their own crowds. Pray for your leaders. I pray for your leaders because this whole idea of people pleasing is a big issue. But this is so liberating for leaders. If Christ and not the church or society is judged, then we can be courageous in ministry. Now, I still remember my old senior pastor as I was getting ready to go into ministry telling me, when you go into your first church, Liam, tell them. Maybe not on the first day but soon uh, something he learned from someone else I will always be your servant but you will never be my master so Paul is encouraging the Corinthians and their celebrity culture to recognize listen it's not all about impressiveness we are merely stewards of the greater king the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the second thing he wants to point out to us that we are not just stewards of Christ living for the praise of God we are fools for Christ uh, living with the rejection of men and here's the reality of ministry for us uh, Paul says to them in verse 8 and he's speaking with, a, with real sarcasm and irony in here already you have what you want already you have become rich you have become kings he says he says, wow, you guys are doing so well, aren't you? You guys are doing so well. You have the praise and the adulation of many. You know, people are on your side. You are not, you are, you are, you see, you are close with God. You are gifted with these many different gifts. And, and still, that your society counts you as wise and with, counts you as, as a group of people who have a contribution to offer. But really what they're what Paul is saying is that through his sarcasm is that they think they've arrived. They think they're living some kind of triumphant and victorious Christian life already. They thought they had arrived in glory. They thought they had gone straight from justification to glorification, but they forgot the bit in the middle called sanctification, which 
which contains for all of us suffering. You've become kings, Paul says, and that without us. And then you sense almost the sadness in Paul's tone, don't you? Oh, that we, oh, how we wish you had become kings. Because then we would reign with you. And then the suffering would be all over. But then in placing himself in comparison with the Corinthians and what they're thinking, Paul serves to show that actually they think they've got in the present the things that God has only promised for the future. And that's very, very dangerous to the point that even as we'll see later in 1 Corinthians 15, they didn't even think it was a significant thing to need to look forward to a resurrection because they were living the victorious Christian life right in the here and now. Paul says, whoa, 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 that's dangerous. And so he does two things. He takes them to two places to show them what real Christian leadership is all about and really a reflection of that, what true Christian life living is all about. He takes them first into the arena. Now what he pictures for us is really a gladiatorial event. You had in ancient Rome and in other places where they had these great big theaters, you would have uh, kings, VIPs, if you put the next slide up for me, that'd be great. Kings and VIPs walking forward at the beginning of a parade. Uh, and they would be receiving the praise and the adulation of all the people who would be lining the streets. The people who would be at the end of the procession were the criminals or the captives that they had brought from this other, other lands, called as slaves, or members of other armies that were going to be sport in their coliseums. And Paul says, you're kings, you're strong, you're crowned with honor. People are loving you, but people, our experience is that people are hating us. We are at the end of the procession, he says. You want a show? We are on show. At the very end, the grand finale for a bloodthirsty crowd condemned to die in an arena. We're no longer seen as human. We're not valuable. We're not worth keeping. We're seen as animals. We're seen only as dispensable. How I wish you had become kings, because then this reality would not, be what Paul's, would not be what Paul was experiencing. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die, being made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. And he goes to explain the hunger, the thirst, the rags, the brutal treatment, the homelessness, the disparaging way that they are treated because they choose to work with their hands. They're just seen as criminals that are dispensable. Paul then takes us from the arena, if you like, into the bathroom. He says, up to this moment in verse 13, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. None of you have scum around your sink, do you? Would you like to take a bath in that bath? No, I, some of you are actually turning your noses up 
and your offense is obvious. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. We are like that scum. That people find us, Christians, with a Christian gospel, offensive. Offensive to the extent that they will not come anywhere near us. Rather, they would, they would just dispense with us. The refuse of the world. Only good for the rubbish tip. That's what it feels like at times to live the Christian life with the way that we can be treated. With the way that people respond to us when we share the gospel with them, certainly. It's the way many Christian leaders are treated. It's very different from celebrity culture, isn't it? Paul's idea of Christian leadership. But with those things in mind, I want to encourage you, and I certainly want to challenge you. Some of you here today, young men in particular, think God's calling you into ministry? You know, don't look to celebrity pastors to see this is what it's going to be like. No, take a look at the gladiatorial arena. And take a look at the bathroom that hasn't seen Domestos for three years. And realize that people will be offended at you. And people will turn their noses up at you. People will treat you as if you are worse than a criminal. But I'm calling you today to consider going into ministry. Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And to recognize, though, the great joy and privilege that we have to share in the very sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that is a privilege that each and every one of us get to share in as Christians. So expect it. Don't shrink back from it. No one is immune to it when they are faithful to God. For the Corinthians, their pride had resulted in wrong expectations of their leaders because they thought that since Paul had suffered and been rejected, he couldn't possibly be a leader appointed by God. In their view, they were like, Paul, we have moved on beyond this gospel. We have advanced to spiritual maturity. Imitate us, they said. No, no, Paul says, you have got it completely the wrong way around. What you have got, it doesn't even smack of Christianity. And the reality of following Christ and sharing in his suffering no, no, Paul says, suffering is the way of discipleship. If we claim to be Christian, we must be like Christ. And we must recognize that the Christian life is not a fast track to glory, but a slow path that, take, a slow path that takes you through suffering. That it's not an occasional detour, but the main highway for Christians. In the end, Paul turns around quite simply. If we can have the next one, uh, and next again, I think. They had said, Paul, we've advanced way beyond you. Imitate us, no, Paul says. Imitate me. And he gives them another picture. In, in the culture back then, it was really, really common for those children in the family, particularly the sons, to become what their fathers were. If he was a farmer, you'd become a farmer. If he was a stonemason, you'd be a stonemason. 
And Paul is saying, I have been entrusted with the gospel. I'm living out a faithful Christian life to the point that I am looking forward to the praise of God when I meet him on that judgment day. He says, follow me, imitate me, be like I am, irrespective of the sufferings, irrespective of the arena, irrespective of the scum, imitate me, copy me. And he says, even as he talks about Timothy towards the close of the chapter, you can do so in a trustworthy way because my life and my teaching agree. There's no hypocrisy here. Imitate me, follow me. course we're not just called to follow certain leaders no that could lead us down that trap into celebrity the curse of celebrity culture again couldn't it our call is to imitate our leaders as they lord willing imitate christ i love andrew murray's quote a former pastor uh, i think from south africa who had said, if humility is the first, all-including grace of the life of Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul's pointing them to, if humility especially is the secret of our Lord's atonement, then the health and the strength of our spiritual life will entirely depend on us putting this grace first too and making not much of ourselves but much of him making humility the chief thing that we admire in Christ the chief thing that we ask of Christ for our leaders and for ourselves and the one thing for which we sacrifice all else friend if you're here today and you're not a Christian you know that all these celebrities that people follow will always let them down it will always let you down if you're following them in particular there is only one that we can follow who is true forever there is only one who has ever done anything to demonstrate true love and leadership and that is Jesus Christ who in humility emptied himself of the glory and the praise of heaven to come into this world become a man to go to a cross to die on that cross taking, taking upon himself our sin rising from the dead three days later to assure that that sacrifice on the cross was accepted by the father and he ascended to the place of glory promising all who follow him in faith and in repentance that same glory but only through a path of life that is often marked with suffering and my encouragement for you is to put your faith and trust in him there is no other way to have your sins forgiven there is no celebrity on this earth no matter how wonderful no matter how spotless in some ways that can save you only Christ brothers and sisters let's beware the curse of celebrity culture encroaching in the life of the church 
let's remember that your leaders are entrusted with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and its faithfulness, not flashiness that counts. And let's look to the arena. And let's look to that bathroom to see what Christian leadership and the Christian life can sometimes be like, but still pursue it gladly in, anticip in anticipation of the praise from God that will come. Let's pray together. Our Father, we see in many and different ways the way our hearts run after celebrity. The way that we attach to ourselves, to other people, to try and find significance and meaning in our lives and how, how foolish we are to do that with, with mere human beings, especially those who do not even know you or want to know you. Our Father, we pray that you would give us this right understanding of the gospel, a right understanding of those who are entrusted with the gospel to share that we might uh, have Christian leaders who imitate you and that we might imitate them. Whether walking in joyful paths or thorny ones, we pray you would strengthen us as a church that we might proclaim this gospel all the more in Jesus' name.